Mark's Gospel, chapter 5. Mark's Gospel, chapter 5. The sermon title for today is 12 Years Dead. 12 Years Dead. And so we'll be looking at Mark, chapter 5, verse number 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him. And he was beside the sea. Then came out uh, one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him, and a great crowd followed him and the thronged about him. So I do want to set the context. I always want to try to set you in where we're at right now. Jesus had just returned from another village where there was a man who was demon-possessed, who walked among the tombs. He was a man who they said he was like a demon. He was like a dead man. And he walked among the tombs at night, and he caused all kinds of havoc in the village to the point where they chained this man where he could not get out of his restraints. Well, Jesus went to that village across the sea. Jesus drove out those demons from that man. Jesus set that man free. And, of course, you would think the townspeople would be excited. You would think the townspeople would be like, yay, yay for Jesus. But they got mad at him, the Word of God says. And they drove him from their city and said, we don't want you here. We don't want you here. So Jesus shows back up on the other side of the sea. And he is greeted by people. And they're all there, a big, massive amount of people are there because they've heard about this Jesus man. They've heard about this Jesus of Nazareth. And it's pretty amazing. We oftentimes think in Scripture that Jesus traveled with just 12 men. I want to promise you, ladies and gentlemen, wherever Jesus went, there was a crowd that went with him. There was a massive amount of people that went with him. At one point in John chapter 6, we're told that he begins to talk about the resurrection. He begins to talk about the Lord's Supper. He begins to talk about the things he's going to do. And it says a great number of them quit following him on that day. And so as much as he has the inner circle of the 12 disciples, and he's got the inner, inner circle of Peter, James, and John, right? I do want you to understand, outside that circle of disciples, there was a lot of other followers who were loosely committed to the cause. And so Jesus shows up on the other side of the sea, and a crowd presses him. But yet there's one man who stands out. There's one man there who doesn't belong. It's almost like, you know, my shirt today, where is Waldo, right? Uh, There's almost somebody who is sticking out like a sore thumb, and it's Jairus. And the cool thing about Jairus is the Bible explicitly wants you to realize this man sticks out like a sore thumb. Why? Because in all the synoptic gospels, right, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those synoptic gospels, those gospels have the same events in all three of them for the most part, but from different vantage points in human history. All three of those accounts say the same phrase about Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue. Every single time Jairus' name is mentioned, they say a ruler of the synagogue came to him. Guys, this is a huge deal. Why? Because the synagogue people did not like Jesus. The Sanhedrin did not like Jesus. The Pharisees did not like Jesus because he was literally turning the world upside down. He was shaking things up so much so because he taught as one with authority. This Jesus would be the one who would literally do miracles on the Sabbath. This Jesus would be the one who when a man was lowered down to him, he said, which which is easier, him to be healed or his sins to be forgiven? And Jesus does both, right? Right? 
I mean, you literally think about this. This Jesus was causing a lot of problems for them. But Jairus was desperate. Jairus was desperate like only any of us who have little girls know. I tell you what, I kid you not, people told me my entire life, when you have a little girl, it's different. And I did not believe them, but they over, oversold it. Amen. They undersold it, I'm sorry, because it does change you. A little girl changes you in ways that I didn't even know I could change, right? I learned as soon as she took her first cry, I could choke somebody's life out of their bones. I learned very quickly that I could murder someone, amen? I learned it very, and you might think, how dare you? You did too. Because you learned that. And so you can imagine in this day and age, there is no St. Jude's. There is no healing oil. There is no person who would pop you in the forehead and hit you with his coat. There are none of those things. And you see the desperation in Jairus' voice. I need you to come with me. My daughter is dying. She is going to die if you don't come with me. To show you how far this man's pride has fallen, the man comes to Jesus, and all three Gospels tell it the same way. He comes to Jesus and throws himself at his feet. Throws himself at his feet and says, Master, I need you to come. Because I'm desperate. I will do whatever it takes. I need you to come. He had thrown aside his religion. He had thrown aside his pride. He had thrown around his public affairs. He had thrown around everything he could imagine. He was bare at the feet of Jesus saying, I need help. He was in a state of desperation. Complete desperation. So he presses on Jesus. Jesus, I need you to come with me. Verse 25, look what happens in Mark's gospel here. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus. I would say she heard the news, amen, the good news about Jesus. And came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garment, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed from her disease. Immediately, the Bible says it happened. So I want us to talk about things. Before we begin the rest of the passage, I want us to talk about some things because this woman is very, very particular. This woman's very particular because her account, once again, finds its way in all three gospel accounts of the synoptic gospels. And each time she's mentioned, there's a little detail that's given a little bit more, but Mark gives the most detailed report of her. We know that for 12 years, she has been bleeding. For 12 years, she has been hemorrhaging. For 12 years, she has been bleeding physically. So now, physically, you think about losing that much blood over 12 years, she was physically weak. She was physically exhausted. She was physically, you can imagine how pale her face would be. You can imagine when someone looked at her, they thought she is sick because literally she had been hemorrhaging for 12 years. And on top of that, but how much she had been bleeding, but she had been also bleeding financially. Financially, the Bible says that for 12 years, she had spent everything she had trying to cure this disease. 
For 12 years, she had went to every doctor. For 12 years, she had went to every healing camp. For 12 years, she had spent everything she owned, even to the point where maybe at midnight, there was this info commercial, call now to get healed. Uh, you know, whatever it was, give us $100 and we will heal you in Yahweh's name. Whatever it was, I promise you, she had been bleeding and bleeding, not only physically, but financially, she was bankrupt. She had exceeded everything she had in her possession. She had nothing. Not only was she bleeding physically, bleeding financially, but she was bleeding religiously. You might be like, Patrick, how was she bleeding religiously? You see, in the religious community, in the Jewish way of life, they had rules. They had regulations. The big thing with the Mosaic law was God was very particular. He wanted to show that His people were clean. He wanted to show that Israel, his entire nation, was different than the pagans that surrounded them. And this was not done so out of pride. This was done so that when the Gentiles looked at them, they would worship Yahweh because Yahweh was so different than their gods. And yet they had some strict, strict guidelines. I talked to Joey because he's an expert in Levitical law, if you did not know. Just kidding, he's been in it for six months. Because in Leviticus chapter 15, verse number 25, look what it says there. This is in the book of Leviticus. If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, or as she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of this discharge, she shall continue in uncleanliness. As in the days of her impurity, she shall be unclean. So I know that that might be very, very graphic language for you, but I want you to understand what I'm doing here. I want you to understand this, that for 12 years, she was not allowed to go to temple. For 12 years, she was not even allowed in the women's court. For 12 years, church, she was alienated from the camp of Israel. For 12 years, whenever she came into town, you know what she had to do? Whenever she came to the market, whenever she came to the well, whenever she was going to conduct her business with anybody else around, she had to come in their presence and say this phrase. Unclean! Unclean! Someone unclean is coming to the store. Is there anybody in there who doesn't want to be unclean because somebody who's unclean is coming in? She had to warn people everywhere she went that somebody unclean was coming in their presence. Pastor, why did she have to do that? Because in the Jewish culture, in the book of the law, it says for you to even touch somebody who was unclean, you became unclean yourself. If you were to even brush shoulders with them, if you were to even hit them in the street and you knew that they were unclean, you yourself would have to go through a purification ritual. It would be a very drawn-out process. So for 12 years, she had been bleeding physically, she had been bleeding financially, she had been bleeding religiously, she had been bleeding socially. For 12 years, she was socially outcast. She had no friends. She had no family. She had no one who she literally could call a friend. Why? Because she had been so far isolated from the camp that people thought she was dead. For 12 years, this woman had been bleeding and bleeding and bleeding. You might say, well, Pastor, it could get any worse than that, but it does. For 12 years, she had been bleeding mentally. You might say, how did someone bleed mentally? I mean, she was literally to the point of desperation where she is speaking to herself and says, if I can just touch the hem of his garment. 
Because you know the leading cause to most of the time when it comes to leading experts talking about depression and even suicidal risk, one of the key factors in it is isolation. Did you know that? For someone to isolate from their community, for someone to pull back from them. And it's amazing to me, if you were to track the numbers when we went through that lockdown, a lot of things like anxiety and depression and suicide went through the roof. Why? Because we withdrew people from the people they cared about. And I'm not saying this to be political. I'm saying with this to be open and honest with you. Because here's what I know as the people of God. Here's what I know of this book. This book reminds us daily that we are supposed to be in community. You need other people. Even people who don't like people, they like being around other people who don't like people, amen? Because everybody needs people. Everybody needs people. Everybody needs people. And for the past 12 years, this woman had no one. This woman had no one. She'd been bleeding physically. She'd been bleeding financially. She'd been bleeding religiously. She had been bleeding socially. And she had been bleeding mentally. So you could argue that she was dead. By all accounts, this woman was as good as dead. And we don't know why exactly, but we don't know the report she heard, but she had heard a report one day that a man named Jesus was passing through town. That a man named Jesus who had healed the blind, the man named Jesus who had healed the lame, the man named Jesus she'd heard about, she had heard a report. And she thought that if I can just get to him, She was so desperate that she didn't shout, I'm unclean, and you know her desperation because she is crawling on her hands and knees. And you might say, Pastor Nick, how do you know she's crawling on her hands and knees? Because she grabs the hem of his garment, ladies and gentlemen. She is at the bottom of the pile of people. She is literally putting her arm through legs, through sandals, to grab the very tassel of his garment, hoping and pleading, if I can just touch something on this holy man, then surely to goodness, I'll be able to finally be with my people. So she goes in the crowd. She reaches out, she, she goes through, she doesn't care who she bumps, she doesn't care about the religious people, all she knows is this man Jesus can heal her. And so she reaches out, grabs the tassel on the end of his robe. And the Bible says, as soon as that happened, immediately. Isn't it good to know that God didn't have things halfway? Isn't it good to know that when God does heal somebody, he heals them all the way? Some of y'all be believing in faith healers, they look into glasses, amen? Let that set in a little bit. Let that set in a little bit. Because look what happens here. She grabs a hold of the tassel and the word of God says immediately she felt inside of her things had shifted. Things had changed for her. Things had changed so much so that immediately Jesus even felt the power go out of them. The Bible says. And I love this next part. You know, some people, y'all have a dry Jesus. My Jesus is funny, amen. Because look, 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 look what Jesus here. The Jesus of the Bible had a lot of personality. Look what he says here. And Jesus, perceiving in himself the power had gone out from him, verse number 30, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, This is us, guys. (laughs) You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? (gasps) That's what the Bible says, right? Like, literally, it says, You have this whole entire crowd pressing about you. Everybody's got a hand on you. Everybody's trying to get a piece of your garment. Everybody's here, right? And yet you've got the audacity to say, somebody has touched me. 
Verse number 32. And he looked around to see who had done it. I love this. Look at this, church. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Many people reading through the Bible, you probably read that phrase very quickly. Like you thought, hey, hey you know, she, she came out, fear and trembling. Because here's the thing you understand. This woman had just infected all those people. All those people around her, she had just altered their lives by her being in the very circle with them. So she was terrified. She was terrified, fear and trembling. Why? Because she had been a social outcast for so long, she was even afraid to be seen in the crowd. She came out and she was fear and trembling. She falls at Jesus' feet. And I love, love, love John Mark's words. Told him the whole truth. So she told him her story. Maybe she told him like, hey, I remember 12 years ago when it first started happening to me and I thought, I thought it would only last a couple of weeks, but here I was. Here, and maybe she told him about every doctor that she had went to. Maybe, maybe she told him everything that she would experienced over 12 years. Maybe she had told him that I was walking to the rabbi and the rabbi told me to go away, you unclean woman. Maybe whatever the whole story was, she told him everything. And look what it says here. And Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. You missed it. I can tell right now, all of y'all. You missed it. Because you need to, need, to, need to pay attention to what Mark is trying to do here. You see, you need to understand some things. Jesus wasn't playing guess who. You know, I don't believe that this woman reached out and grabbed him and Jesus didn't know who she was. You know, here's the big thing you understand about Jesus. Jesus knew not only who she was, she knew what she suffered from. Not only did he know who she was, but what she suffered from. But I guarantee you, the reason why he took that route to Jairus' house was because he knew that woman was going to be there. And so the big thing you understand, he's not playing guess who because he doesn't know who she is. He's playing guess who so others know who she is. He's playing guess who so that she would have to come up in front of all the religious people. She would have to come up in front of all the crowd. She would have to be there at that moment so that the disciples would know who she was and what had been done for her. She was brought out for a testimony. She was brought out so that the Lord that was in the crowd could get the glory. So that nobody would ever guess, well, maybe something else happened to her. No, Jesus wanted to draw attention to that very moment, to that very woman, to that very place. Why? Because everything changed in that moment for her. And you missed it, church. I'm telling you, you missed it because for the first time in a long time, somebody saw her. For the first time in a long time, she wasn't invisible. For the first time in a long time, somebody made her feel like a human. And somebody looked at her, and you, you missed it, I'm telling you. because you got, This is the only time in Scripture, as far as I can find. You might be like, Kenneth might be like, hey. Uh, this is the only time in Scripture Jesus greets someone like this when he says, daughter. But you forget, our boy Jairus is over here. Our boy Jairus is over here, and he's got a daughter. So isn't it amazing that Jesus is interacting with 
a daughter of the Lord, and yet Jairus has got a daughter who's sick. So Jesus is interacting with his daughter, and he's fixing to go interact with this man's daughter. Woo, you're missing a church. But he tells her, daughter. He doesn't say, go and be healed. No, no, no. He's very particular about his wording. Go and be well. Because it wasn't enough just to heal her disease. Because she had a bigger problem. Like the man who was paralyzed, he thought, my legs don't work, when really his soul was broken. This woman, even though she had been bleeding for 12 years, and the blood may have been the major issue, she also needed a different kind of blood treatment. Because she needed to be made well. She needed to be healed of something way worse than a blood issue. But what about our boy Jairus? I don't want to leave you hanging, church. I know some of y'all thinking, what about Jairus? What about our boy Jairus? Look what's happening in Mark chapter 5, verse number 35. While he was still speaking, this is what Jesus talking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Guys, let me ask you this. How many times in your life have you heard the enemy whisper that lie to you? Why trouble the master? Why pray? I've counseled people for many years now, and the number one thing I hear people is, I don't want to bother God, as if God don't already know. I don't want to bother anybody. I just want to keep it all to myself, because you're under pressure. That'll never stop. I'm telling you, you always forget that the Bible says He longed to hear from us. How many times we find ourselves in Jairus' situation? Where the crowd says to him, Jairus, your daughter's dead. Let the rabbi go about doing what he's going to be doing. You can imagine what's going on in Jairus' mind right now. Some of you dads can maybe relate. You can imagine he has a lot of mixed emotions. You can imagine he has deep sadness. Because he's just found out his 12-year-old daughter is dead. He's just found out that not only did his daughter die, but his wife is there and he's not there whenever his daughter did die. You probably are thinking in the back of his mind, not only does he have great sadness, but he also has a lot of anger. Because while his daughter has just lost her life, this woman, who he doesn't know, we don't know her name, but she has been given a new life. And he's probably thinking in the back of his head, if we had not have stopped for this moment, then my daughter would have been healed. If we had not stopped to talk to this woman at this time, at this moment, and been concerned with her, then we could have made it in time. And you might be sitting there thinking, uh, you know, how dare you say that like that? Because I know that because that's what I would have felt. And that's what you would have felt as well. Because you feel it every Sunday. You feel it every time you open up Facebook. You see God's favor or God's blessing or maybe the enemy's blessing. Pay attention here. On somebody else's life and you begin to think, why them, God? Why not me, God? How come they get everything they want? 
How come they get this? How come they get that? Why? Why me, God? I never get anything, God. God, it's always somebody else. It's always somebody else getting blessings. And I have to tell you this, church, the devil blesses people too. And pride always comes before the fall. And you might be thinking, Pastor Nick, do you ever think like that every day? And you know what? If you think like that, you're in good company because David thought like that. David writing the Psalms, why do the enemy prosper but we are without, Lord? How come they're getting blessed and we're not getting blessed? And so I can relate to Jairus quite a bit. Look what happens here in the next little bit. But overhearing what they said... Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, once again, you have to pay attention. He's, he's dropping the words every single time, the ruler of the synagogue, every time. Do not fear, only believe. Do not fear, only believe. And if I'm Jairus, I don't know about you, I'm thinking, easy for you to say. You didn't just lose a daughter. I'm the one who lost a daughter. You're going to go about your merry way. You're going to keep on your campaign. But look what happens in the text. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brothers of James, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. Once again, I'm telling you, he drops it every time. And Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. Verse number 40, and they laughed at him, and he put all them outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, and they went to in where the child was. Now, once again, we read this, and I have to make you understand that you're missing a lot of things if you just read through it quickly. You're missing a lot. So I always try to slow down and show you things. Jesus arrives at the scene. He brings only Peter, James, and John with him. So remember, we have the crowd, we have the disciples, and then we have an inner, inner circle. Peter, James, and John. If you paid attention in the Garden of Gethsemane, who goes further in? Peter, James, and John. The Mountain of Transfiguration, who's up there? Peter, James, and John, right? You always usually see those three people are closer to Jesus and have a more intimate relationship than the others do. And I don't know why you might be like, that's not fair. You're not God. So you don't get to determine what's fair and what's not fair, right? So do you understand that? So right here in this moment... He brings Peter, James, and John with him. They go in, and before they even get to the house, the Bible says there's a commotion. Weeping and wailing. Now, there's a big difference in weeping and wailing, amen? Some of y'all know from the office, Dwight was wailing, amen? Your little toddler might be weeping. Now, what do I mean by that? Weeping is where they've got just the one crocodile tear. <laughs> you know, that's weeping. Wailing is when it's a full-blown tantrum. Ah! I mean, you know, hitting on the ground, do whatever I want to, like, you know, like your husband when he doesn't get a deer, amen? Uh, you know, whatever you want to think about. Like, there's a huge big difference in weeping and wailing, and the Bible says there were these mourners who were there, mourners who were there. Because in the Jewish community, guess what? The more mourners you have, people who mourned, the wealthier and better off you were considered to be in the community. So get this, some of y'all are going to think, I got a new hobby. They had professional mourners in that day. People who got paid by the family to go to the funeral and sit there and be like, he was so loved. 
I kid you not, that's what happened. They would go to the funeral and they would sit around and just cry, I loved him so. And they would throw themselves in the casket. They would have a big, 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 big time, right? And that was their job. They got paid to travel around and be negative Nancys and Debbie Downers. Some of you are thinking, I need to give somebody one of their cards. Because that's what they did. So Jesus arrives at the scene. He sees all these mourners there. And I love what Jesus does. Once again, you see his personality here. You see his humor with the disciples. You see his, you could argue, you see some you know, righteous anger right here. Where he says, get out of the house. This is no place for your mourning. This is no place for your occupation. This is no place for you to be. He puts them out of the house, but before he puts them out, there's an exchange of words. Did you pay attention? There's an exchange of words where he tells them, she's not dead, she's just sleeping. In the Bible, did you pay attention to the words? It says they laughed at him. They laughed at him. Guys, it should not shock you that the people still to this day, when they hear the things of God, they laugh at us. It should not shock you that when we talk about sexual ethics or we talk about anything that the Bible is grounded in, that it should not cause people to laugh at us because they laughed at Jesus there in the flesh. They will laugh at Jesus here in the Spirit. They laugh at us. They think, you believe a bunch of nonsense. You believe a man rose from the grave? Get out of here. Because it's nonsense to them. It's foolishness, is what Paul would say, to those who are perishing. But to those who believe, guess what? It's our anchor. It's a thing that never changes. It's the, the rock that won't ever move. It's the firm foundation which we build our lives on. So Jesus goes into the house. He brings in Jairus. He brings in the mother of the child. And look what happens in verse number 41. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, I'm not even going to try to pronounce that, amen. Y'all, y'all sure got a pastor who could speak in tongues. This ain't him. Which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly gave her something, and they strictly, and he, let's go back, and they strictly should, ugh, and he strictly charged them, no one should know this, and told them to give her something to eat. Jesus goes in, grabs her by the hand, resurrects this little girl. As soon as she sets up, the whole crowd goes bonkers. Jesus says, y'all got a ham sandwich for the girl? Amen. <laughs> you got a sandwich? Girl's hungry. Girl been sleeping. Gives her something to eat, but notice once again, details, details, details. He tells them not to tell anybody what they've just seen and what they've just heard. You see this language with Jesus a lot in the Gospels. Because I want to reinforce this with you over and over again. Jesus and his band of merrymen were not circus performers. They were not TV evangelists. They were not looking to cause a big commotion. They were looking to cause disruption. But they weren't looking to get attention. They were looking to be about the message. If you pay attention to the Gospels, Jesus does miracles to get people's ears. He does not do ears. He does not tell people things to get their attention so he can do miracles. Miracles always come before the Gospel to get people's attention, so to speak. 
So I want you to understand that. He's doing that so people never ever want to come to him for the gifts he offers instead of who he is. Because I want you to understand me here. We live in a day and age where people are saying crazy stuff. We live in a day and age where people are saying name it and claim it. What do I mean by name and claim it? There are people, maybe even on your Facebook page, in Jesus' name, be healed. In Jesus' name, have this. In Jesus' name, you're going to go home, dig out back, you're going to strike oil, you're going to be like Jed Clampett, you're going to be down there on Beverly Hills, baby. In Jesus' name, if you'll call and make a pledge for $100, you will get everything you've ever promised. And I want to tell you, those people are from the straits. Those people are from demonic influence. Those people are not based on the Word of God. Those people are telling lies from the very pits of hell. Because it's just not true. And people say, what's your faith that heals you? No, ladies and gentlemen, it's not your faith that healed this woman. It's not the, the dead person's faith that raised the dead. It wasn't Jairus' faith. It wasn't his wife's faith. It wasn't anybody's faith. The only person who did the miracles was the person they had faith in. Because what you have faith in is more important than the faith you have because if the faith you have is in an object, it's in vain. If the faith you have is in a baptistry, it's in vain. If the faith you have is in anything besides Christ, it can be in vain. Because God is the only one who can perform miracles. But I do want you to understand this. I do firmly believe that God can use ordinary medicines to perform miracles. So if you're sick, don't be thinking, well, I'm just going to pray it away. You'll be dead. Thank God for we got some treatment these days. Thank God you ain't got to lay around and hope for something to happen. Go to the doctor. Go to a Christian doctor. Tell him, pray for me, doctor. But give me some pills. These are good gifts from God. Good gifts of God. Easy for you to say, Pastor. Guys, if I didn't have contacts, then I couldn't read this book. These are good gifts of God. Do not be a fool and say, I'm just going to claim in Jesus' name. You'll be seeing Jesus real soon. Don't be doing that. But he saves his best detail, one of, one of Mark's best details for last. He talks about her being resurrected, and then he says, for she was 12 years old. She was 12 years old. If you notice the sermon title, I said, dead for 12 years. Dead for 12 years. Because isn't it amazing that the, the woman with the issue of blood, she had been dead for 12 years. And yet this little girl, she was 12 years old when she had died. Twelve years for both of them, in a sense. Twelve years, you could say. Twelve years dead, you could say, for the one died when she was twelve for the other one. Because here's the really best news of all. Remember the purity I was talking about, purification process, where the Jews could not touch anything that was unpure, unclean? One of the things that was on the unclean list was a dead person's body. Dead person's body. So this is why, if you never knew in the story of Samson, whenever Samson gets the honey out and takes it to his family, that's why it's, it's wrong, because the carcass of the lion's where he got the honey from. Remember this? It was something dead. 
Because the Jews did not associate with anything that was dead. That's why they would miss a lot of our churches, amen. But um, uh, And so believe it or not, they did not associate with anything that was dead. So when Jesus came into the room, the mourners were outside, but Jairus was there. His wife was there. Peter was there. James and John were there. And Jesus goes in, and he grabs this woman by the hand. You missed it. You missed it. Because whenever Jesus came in, he grabbed that woman by the hand. What he just did was made himself unclean. Because he was touching the very hand of a dead person. He had her hand in his hand. And so physically and spiritually and religiously, he had became unclean according to the law. But isn't it good to know? Isn't it really good to know that when somebody with an issue of blood touches the king, that when somebody with an issue of blood touches someone who is the ultimate definition of clean, they become clean themselves, and it does not make Jesus unclean. Isn't it good to know that when somebody that's dead grabs a hold of the resurrection, they come alive? So what you did not even notice was as soon as Jesus was touched by somebody who was unclean, no matter how unclean they were, whenever Mr. Clean showed up, amen, whenever somebody who was the cleanest of the clean, whenever he showed up, he made everybody clean who came in contact with him because Jesus was issuing in the kingdom of God. He was bringing in the good news, saying death, hell, and the grave are all defeated. Why? Because the king is here. The king is here. So guys, what Jairus didn't know was he was crying. Jesus is like, oh, you got no idea what's coming, brother. You got no idea who's about to come in your house. Because the worst thing for a funeral home director to see was Jesus of Nazareth coming. The worst thing for the hospital to see was they was about to lose a lot of money. Why? Because Jesus was on the scene. Because I do want you to understand that whenever Jesus shows up, he changes everything. It changes everything. And you might be here today. And you might be thinking, Pastor Rick, that's all good, but I don't have an issue of blood. And my, you know, I don't have, I'm not dead. But I do want to say that we all have been bleeding in here at times in our life. Times in our life we've been physically bleeding, we've been financially bleeding, we've been religiously bleeding, we've been socially bleeding, we've been mentally bleeding. And we're just exhausted. And you come in here every Sunday, you drag in, you got the kids, you're smacking them in the butt to get in the church. I see you, you're scrubbing milk stains off their collar. You're putting on a shirt on one of them. You're swearing like sailors getting them out of the van. How are you? I'm blessed. <laughs> Highly favored. How are you, Pastor? But I see it, you're just, you're just bleeding. And you might even feel dead. You get up, you go to work, at the same job with the same people, doing the same stuff you've always done, and you're just in a daze. You get home, kids are running a mess, husband's running a mess, wife's yelling at you, Get a kid because he's over poking an electrical socket. 
you're smacking tails, trying to get them all to sit down and eat a dinner. And you get them in bath time, and you hope and pray to God they go to sleep. You're, you're praying the most you've ever prayed in your life, Lord, please let them sleep. And you go to bed, and it's like Groundhog Day. You do it all over again. Every day, it's the same. And you know what you do? You do like we all do. You try to numb the effects. So you get home, and instead of interacting with your kids, instead of interacting with your spouse, you just get on your phone. You said, I might be bleeding, but so-and-so over there, they ain't bleeding. Look at them. They got a nice car. They got a nice house. Look at her. She had a baby last week, and she looks like she's 18. Look at him. He does all the extracurricular activities. He's a coach from a son's team. Look at him. He's got it all together. But I promise you, even behind the nice pictured Facebook posts, even behind that camera lens, it still can't cover it up. They're bleeding. It's just oozing off of them, just bleeding. Because I want you to know you're in good company here. Because we're all bleeding. And every Sunday, you get the opportunity to come in here and bow before this King Jesus. Every Sunday, you get the opportunity to come in here and cry out to the Lord, saying, God, I need help. God, I need strength. God, I need something. You might be believing the lie of the enemy. It says, don't bother the master. Why bother? When I'm telling you, you can find rest for your soul here. I'm telling you, you can find healing here. It might not be the healing you think it is, but I promise you, you can find healing here. You can find that here. But you've got to reach out. You've got to reach out. 